Today's episode of the Mets Up Podcast is sponsored by Anchor. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free. First off, that's huge. And that's what we use here on the Mets Up Podcast. I highly suggest it. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your own phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many other streaming services. And you're allowed to make money from your podcast from day one with no minimum listenership. It's literally everything you need to make a podcast in one place. So make sure you guys download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. All right, everybody, welcome back. Episode number seven of the Metsed Up podcast here. I mean, look at us. We're seven episodes in. We're 11, 12 games into the season, I think, roughly. And Mets baseball is starting to look better. Yeah, I don't know. A lot to talk about nothing, because that's kind of just what happened this series is there wasn't a lot. Now, before, of course, we get going into it, you know what we got to do. We got to tell you where you can find us, where you can listen to us. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts. You can watch us on YouTube. You just searched up Mets Up Podcast. I mean, you're listening to it now, but hey, maybe you want to try it out somewhere else. There you go. And then you can also follow us on all our social media, Mets Up on Twitter and Instagram. James are on the Instagram, posting every single day. We got tweets going out. Weirdly enough for me, I've been taking a little bit of a social media hiatus. I'm going on 48 hours of not using uh, Twitter or Instagram. I've been watching YouTube videos, but I haven't even been checking like any sort of YouTube numbers outside of the podcast. That's a sick brag, dude. Look at you, whole weekend off social media. I know, right? Like, how many, how many times have I ever done that in my life since... Have you, have you found your inner peace? Are you aligned? You know, roommate Alex asked, did you feel like you, f- you were seeing things that you were missing? And I was like, not really. I mean, like, I'm not that super into my phone, but it definitely was nice to just, like, be able to not worry about, like... I need to tweet this or I need to look at this video or check these numbers. It's definitely relaxing and I think it was much needed break, but I will say watching these Mets games yesterday, all I wanted to do is tweet and I had to say I had to stay so disciplined because there were very or a lot of tweetable things in yesterday's game. Is this the Mets up podcast or is this the marked up podcast? Oh, we're, you know, I got to sprinkle a little bit of my own in there too. You can tell me about your your personal uh, triumphs that you've been doing this past weekend. What did you do this weekend? The people want to know. Basically nothing. I wrote the big article that's going to come out in Pitcher List on Monday. And then I sat down. I watched a ton of sports. So much unbelievable amount of baseball these last two days. It's been a pleasure, honestly. Yeah. And luckily for us. The Mets got two wins, which is really nice because that makes watching baseball even more enjoyable is when if they're not playing great, at least they're winning. And that's kind of what happened this year. Yeah, absolutely. Let's I kind of want to start with game three because, you know, it's fresh in our minds. It was the most I mean, I won't say the most exciting thing because game one was pretty exciting. But let's jump in to game three because that was like gave me palpitations. I was sweating literally two hours and 30 minutes of nothing devolved into five minutes of it felt like it felt like chaos, even though it wasn't that much chaos. But it just felt just having a one-run lead in Coors Field is like basically being tied anywhere else. Kind of feels like. And all the Mets were doing this weekend, it felt like, was keeping in one-run games that we were winning. The game that we lost, it wasn't a one-run game by any means. Yeah, leave it to the Mets to walk into Coors Field and get in two pitchers' duels. It's classic. We talked about this. Did you were you able to find? I guess like the last time that the Mets or like the Mets hit a home, only one home run in a quarter series or eight runs in three games. I can't imagine that's happened many times in the history of the no, Mets. No, definitely not. Of course, especially it felt like every time the Mets have gone to cores, they've put up crazy offensive numbers. Given that's also usually comes later in the season when it's not thirty five degrees. But still, I don't know. I always think of, you know, and everyone thinks of Coors, like you're going to put up the numbers and to throw eight up on the board against Chichi Gonzalez, Herman Marquez, who looked really good, let's be honest. And then who pitched today? Sen- uh, Senzatella. Senzatella. Yeah, Senzatella. I mean, like 
two absolute I don't want to say scrubs because that's a little no, harsh, but historically, Chi Chi and Sensatella are both glorified batting practice pitchers. Those guys, especially in Coors, yeah. Since Sensatella's an innings eater, like he gets out there and he throws, like he gives the Rockies something, and he has a decent slider. Kite's pretty good, but it's okay. Yeah, his I'm gonna find his career ERA right now because I don't. Think I mean, like he threw, good. he was throwing like he was sitting 98, 97 today, which is like pretty good. That's good stuff. He just doesn't have the other pitches to go along with it. In 437 career innings, Antonio Sensatella's ERA is 5.07. That's exactly where I would have pegged him right at five. Yeah, and you got so you got you got to hit better than this. You got to be a little disappointed with the Mets bats again this series. Even though we thought we came out of it, we thought we had gotten into a rhythm and a groove but clearly that was just not the case yeah we thought that this especially like how we ended the series coming into Coors where it's you always have the highest batting averages and the highest OPS and there's just so much field out in the outfield the Mets made Coors field look I don't small is not the right word but they made it look huge as if it was I mean it's a big field to begin with yeah Coors field is is huge people kind of assume that Coors field is small because of the run environment but Coors field actually if you take every single outfield in major league baseball it has the most square footage that's kind of where the high batting averages on balls in play and like the crazy offensive outputs come in Coors field home runs are a plenty sure but mostly it's finding those gaps and getting those balls in the corner there were a lot good amount of balls hit into that right field corner this weekend but not enough not enough. I mean, I mean, technically enough. We got two wins. Yeah, we still yeah. got two wins. Technically so is enough. enough. Technically, we did win the series when there were times where it looked like this could have been a series that we got swept in, which is crazy to say with Degrom and Stroman on the mound. But that's just how inept the offense was this weekend. It wasn't showing up. So let's go back to Game Three here because that's the one that was fresh on our minds. We had Stroman on the mound, and yet again, Marcus Stroman fucking pitched his nuts off. He is just no more nuts. He's, He's so good. So good. Stroman looked amazing today. He he employed a real core strategy. He kept the ball down. Heavy mix of his sinkers and cutters. Got way more ground balls and called strikes than whiffs. Stroman actually is kind of weird right now, but he has the same amount of strikeouts as hits allowed this season, which is generally not a recipe for success, but it's working right now. The only people who put a ball in play over 100 miles an hour were Trevor Story and Charlie Blackman which is going to happen. You can't you can't keep those guys off the board. As awful as the rest of this lineup has gotten in the last few years, those two are still stalwarts, professional hitters, Trevor Story, future Yankee, but I digress. But again, keeping the ball down, not so many fly balls. I feel like, again, staying away from his slider. Maybe he's just not feeling it early in the season. Maybe that's just because he knew he wouldn't be able to grip it as well in cores. And he used the splitter a little bit more today than last start. He pulled it out when he needed it. It had the most whiffs on any of his pitches, but despite being the third most thrown at only 14%, which in 13 pitches thrown, 14% of his total pitches, there were six swings and three whiffs. Especially because like now it's just another thing. Like When you're looking at Stroman, you're preparing for Stroman. You have to consider now even more that this is a pitch that he can legitimately use and use as an out pitch, which... Definitely. It's almost like he's becoming a guy who is two different pitchers in one guy. He can come out and rock four-seam slider, uh, splitter, get whiffs, be like an up-and-down pitcher, or he can do what he did today and what he did last time out where he just pounds the bottom of the zone, pounds, sinker, cutter, sinker, cutter, just eats those inside and outside corners, just crushes them, and then just gets out, especially with the new Mets, new and improved defense. Yeah, and I think Ron Darling even mentioned that during the broadcast in the game, and he talked about, like, we have seen 
different Marcus Stroman's, and both of them have been really, really good. So depending on who he's playing and what the day is and how he's feeling, the it's weather. good to know that if one thing isn't working, it seems like he can kind of make that shift into the other version of Marcus Stroman, and he's going to end up being fine. Now, today, things were working. He didn't have to make any shift. It seemed like it was a conscious effort. He was going in there looking for ground balls nonstop. He was working so quickly. The pace was amazing. This game in the eighth inning had only taken like two hours and 15 minutes. It was shockingly fast. Besides how boring it was offensively, if you're like a, a true fan of baseball and just like quick pace, like old school baseball kind of stuff, like this was a really enjoyable game to watch because the pace was great. Balls were being put in play constantly. There weren't a lot of strikeouts in this game from the Rocky side, at least. And it's just like good defense, good plays. Stroman also only had, I think, like what eighty-eight pitches through eight or something yeah. like that. No, which is- it was at the. At, I think he had less going into the eighth. He came out of the game with ninety-two or ninety-four, something like okay. that. Not many. I think it was what like the seventh when he gave up the first run of the game yep, for him. Yep, seventh inning, yeah. And I think at the time they put up a graphic on the you know screen while he was pitching, and they said like he hadn't had an inning where he threw more than twelve pitches. Crazy. He came out of the game with ninety pitches on the nose. I thought there was a chance he was going to come out for the ninth, honestly. I thought so, too, based on how well he was pitching. But I actually do have to agree with the decision with Rojas. Oh, Rojas totally agree with the because, decision. Especially because Blackman and Story have both been hitting the ball the best out of anybody. We just got to give them a different look. Those guys manufactured the only run of the game. And as I said before, they were the only Rockies to put the ball in play of at least 100 miles an hour. They were doing the damage. He, they needed to see a different look, and clearly Edwin Diaz was, while Story still got like that dinky little reach over and get a hit because it's Coors Field. I mean, Diaz was still looking really, really sharp again. Dude, electric. He has been throwing BBs this year. Fastball's life. That was the Edwin Diaz, like the, this series especially, because he's coming in one-run games in Coors, where he has an issue of giving up home runs. That's his big thing, and has an issue with like just the, the hits finding spots. He somehow was able to get through both of his appearances. Lights out. He was disgusting. And that is the Edwin Diaz. Even when he, uh, like the fly ball that McMahon hit in game three, that Nimmo caught right at the fence. You saw him, he was like, okay, we're good. He caught it. We're fine. That, I couldn't believe that ball got out that far. He looked like he saw them off. Yeah, Ryan McMahon is good. I left this series respecting Ryan McMahon much more than I did going in. Besides that throwing error he made in game one yesterday, he was really putting the Putting the ball everywhere in the field. Putting the ball everywhere, and he was making diving plays everywhere. And like you said, that throw was the only bad one. He almost made that sick double play today where Story caught it, like, backhanded in the hole, and then McMahon ran from second base to cut in front of him. And the throw was on target and pretty solid. It was just a tough play to make, but McMahon's, it looks like he's a little bit of a ball player out there and someone that could be someone to keep an eye on. And out that relay from Blackman to McMahon to Fuentes to, to nab McNeil, those balls in the corner are always triples in cores. Nine times out of ten. And McNeil's not a slow runner, and he had a good jump, and he was moving. That was just a bang-bang perfect relay play. And to jump to game one for a second, the play that they made on the VR pinch hit to, for Almora? Yeah, Almora was safe by like a fingernail. By by literally he just he Almora made a perfect slide. Perfect, perfect slide. And they made a perfect relay throw and almost got him. Literally, if if he tried to slide anywhere else on the plate, he's out. Yeah, that slide was sick. But just to stick with game three before we move on to game one, James McCannon. Holy shit. I fucking love him. I love him. <laughs> that was sick. While he might not be doing much at the plate right now, and he had some pretty horrible at-bats today, especially like the 3-0 count where he rolled over one to shortstop. Oh, yeah, he got another 2-0 count where he just like lunged at a, like a ball and just like bloofed it to left field. And I think... I got to look this up maybe, but it seems like he's really trying to do too much out of the eight hole, which is a weird sentence to say, 
But I think because he knows the pitcher is coming up next, he's really trying to like make an impact and not have it like be a walk with the pitcher coming up next. So it seems like he's pressing a little bit. And that's what you see with like the 2-0 strike where he swung and kind of just lunged. The 3-0 swing was atrocious, but it doesn't matter because at the end of the game, McCannon, McCannon. Having a real catcher back there is... That throw was disgusting. I want to like... Sex, that throw was sex. No, I could, yeah, I looked on Baseball Savant to try and find any time that a Mets catcher ended a game with um, an assist in the search function. I couldn't find it. I think I was doing something wrong, but I wouldn't be surprised if it was true. (laughs) And I think the thing that's going to get slept on about that throw, too, is, like, Diaz is horrendous at holding on. Oh, my God. He didn't even look. No, didn't look once. And Ron Keith, or Ron and Gary were both talking about it, like, oh, you're running story here. There's no doubt, especially against Diaz. And he threw the pitch completely in rhythm. He gave absolutely no credence at all to the possibility that the really fast guy who steals between 20 and 30 bases a year on first base would possibly go <laughs> with down by one in the ninth inning. And he's also not quick to the plate either. He's all no! with all his movement. Like, he is the perfect guy to steal off of, and somehow McCann was able to, I mean, hosed him, hosed him. That throw was an absolute BB. And Lindor also with a tag is fantastic. Yeah, slapped it. And Lindor immediately knew that he got that tag down. There was no question about it. He was screaming. Also, throwing on a 101-mile-an-hour fastball, not an issue. That was a great throw. That was a great, you know, little mm, exclamation point to the end of the game. We needed it because I was not feeling good. No, I was feeling bad. Text him. You texted me. Not good. <laughs> not good. I was not like, don't feel great about today. Especially like Diaz is due. You know he's gonna blow one at some point. Yeah. Hey, like come on. Be nice to today Edwin. Like today was the day. It's he's Edwin, not Ed Lose. Edwin is. I don't want to say he's locked in, but he looks kind of locked in. He's pitching with f- freaking confidence, and with a bunch of off days coming in the next t- two weeks, you're gonna see a lot more of him. Especially at least like as a Met, this is probably the best streak of pitching from Edwin Diaz that we've seen where he's been this locked in. Yeah, this and the end of last year, too. The, la- the last 20 games of last year, he was unhittable. Because I think right now, I don't I don't have the exact number, and I probably should. I'll, I'll get it. I'll start looking for it. But I remember after game one, I think they were talking about he has 17 strikeouts out of the 20-something batters he faced or something this year. Is that correct? You might be thinking of just the game one statistic that the Mets struck out 17 of 21 batters. <laughs> Maybe that's what I'm thinking <laughs> that of. That could okay. be it. Yeah, because that would be un- unbelievable. But he is striking out an insane amount of batters still, which is awesome because swing and misses with him is his game, of course. Yeah. Last thing I just want to bring up before we move on to game one is how big of a day Pete had. He wasn't, I f- he loves hitting home runs in Coors Field, but it seems like he just loves hitting in Coors Field. He put four balls to play today over 100 miles an hour. Two of those above 110. That was from bang. Some liners coming out there. Yeah, smoked the baseball a few times. And he looks comfortable at first, too, much more so in the last couple of seasons. Yeah, he's looked, I think there's a huge defensive improvement thus far this season. He seems like he's also trying to do less, which is big, because one of the huge things with Pete that we know he loves to do is he tries to do too much sometimes. And especially in the field, he loved to get deep in the hole on the right side where the second baseman would just field it normally and have no problem. And he'd lay out, and it just seems like they've really got him a little under control. And like, Pete just... One step to your right and left. That's all we need. Like, catch the ball, hit home runs. That was the Pete special his rookie year. Just diving and smothering a baseball right in front of the second baseman when the pitcher couldn't have gotten there fast enough to cover because he cut it off too close to the grass. We do got to work on the, the tosses to the pitcher with him a little bit. He scares me. A yeah, little bit. yeah. <laughs> the one where Stroman jumped today. That was pretty funny. <laughs> he's just excited. He's excited. Yeah, and I mean, what he's there for is to hit. And he's numbers aren't great yet. But he's starting to at least like have better at bats and start hitting the ball a lot more. Few hit, few harder. hits today is raising that average big time. Yes, hundred percent. And like we've said, he's a two fifty guy, like uh, at a, on his best days. Yeah, so the, the two hits today brought his average to two fifty. 
There we go. On his best days, he's 250. <laughs> there it is. There we go. We did it. And then I, I wrote something about Pete, and I, I kind of lost it. Where is it? Because, oh, here we go. So it's technically it was under the first game notes, but I'm just going to include it now because we're talking about Pete. Yeah. So what's crazy is about him is his K rate is like astronomically high for him right now. But somehow he's hitting the ball probably better than we've like really seen a lot with him. Especially because he just like hasn't hit the ball soft this year. I think on fan graphs right now, he does not have a, a soft hit ground ball really? uh, at all this year. It's like 4.5% oh yeah. soft contact rate. That's crazy. And he's taken what he had in soft contact last year, which was about like, I think, 14, 15%. And it's all gone to hard now. The medium stuff has stayed the same. But when he's hitting the ball, he's just crushing it. Fangrass probably hasn't updated yet with today's four hard hit balls and four at bats. So that's going to go up. Pete also doesn't have a pop up this year. Pete was over 13% pop ups in each of the last two seasons. So no pop ups at all. Massive. It's huge. The strikeouts are going to be a thing with him always. And it's again, like his chase rate isn't really even that up either he's just swinging and missing a little bit more. no it's not the key actually that pete has done this season which is different from years past is he is not taking as many pitches his zone swinging rate has gone up by 10 percent, and the a lot of the per pitch statistics will stabilize earlier in the season because of how many pitches guys see on a daily basis so that is a trend that probably shows an actual material improvement that pete has made He's taken 4% less called strikes and swung at 10% more pitches in the zone. And that's how you get more base hits and raise your batting average floor, put more balls in play. Which is all great signs to see and kind of leads into what Pete did in game one, which was huge for us, but he's not the star of the show in game one. The star of the show in game one is obviously Jacob deGrom. Electric factory. Every single time Jacob deGrom touches the mound, I stop everything I'm doing, clear my schedule, clear my head. And just sit and observe. Enjoy. It's We are in the midst of one of the greatest stretches of pitching in the history of baseball. And I have no issue saying that. He, Jacob deGrom this season has basically struck out half of the batters he's faced. That's ignorant. 48.6% of batters he's faced have struck out. How could that even how could that even be possible? That's like not even video game numbers because even in a video game, they're just like, you're striking too many guys out. Let's put a ball in play or something. Here's a fly ball. 48.6% is nuts. It is silly. That's is there any pitcher that's even come anywhere even close to that? Like as a starter? No way. Burns is sitting around 46-47% right now, and Bieber after today, I think is in the mid forties too. But everyone was sucking off Shane Bieber today for breaking Nolan Ryan's first four starts of the season strikeout record. Degrom is almost definitely going to get that next time out. Like he's right on, he's right on his ass, like white on rice. And not to mention yesterday or yesterday is it yesterday now? Well, when you guys it was yesterday, Saturday, whatever. Yeah. Um, nine straight K's. We were, I was at a friend's house. We were playing some like old baseball card day card game MLB show showdown. Wow, that's sick. It was electric, by the way. But we were in the middle of our tournament, deep into it. It was the playoff run, and we stopped what we were doing. Jake DeGrom was pitching. We watched, and then at, we, that was it. We're like, okay, we're just going to finish this after the Mets game because Jake DeGrom's on the mound. He might be breaking history here because he had nine straight Ks at the time. He's He literally is, like you said, you stop what you're doing, you turn on the TV, and you watch Jacob DeGrom because we are seeing one of the greatest stretches in a pitcher's, pitching history right now over whatever these three, four-year spans are going to be that we're currently in. You've mentioned it in a previous episode, Kofaxian, and I'm hearing oh, more yes. and more people saying it. Saying the Kofax type. This is this is this is Kofaxian stuff. And you people never sniffed that Seaver record. 
You go seasons without even hearing that mentioned. Even when they said that was the record, I didn't even know it was Tom Seaver. My dad was like, oh, how could you not know that? What kind of Mets fan are you? But like, <laughs> I, I didn't know. I, and what's funny is I think DeGrom also got nine last year too. Oh, really? This, this is a regular occurrence for him now. He's like, oh, yeah, once a year I'll strike out nine guys in a row. Three innings, you just don't get to do anything. It's crazy. The funniest thing about Seavers when you strike out 10 guys in a row is that he, he struck out the first guy that started and ended. Do you remember, like, striking out the same guy, like, twice in a row like that as you struck everyone else out? Like, you guys just aren't seeing it. You guys aren't seeing shit. No, not at all. That's just, like, that's how good Jake DeGrom is. We're putting him in the same conversation of Tom Seaver, and it's, like, just not crazy because Tom Seaver is one of the best pitchers of all time in Major League Baseball history. Definitely. And DeGrom is doing stuff that compares to it and, let's be honest, is facing better competition. It's just not even Way close. better competition. There's more technology. There's more knowledge. There's more information. There's a, just, just better hitters. There's literally better equipment. The bats. I couldn't even imagine hitting with a bat from, like, 1972. All I can think about is, like, batting gloves were created because guys were getting splinters from the bats that they were using because <laughs> it was, like, just, like, ah, there's, that's, that's a strong branch up there. Let's saw it off a little bit. Nice bat. Like, DeGrom is so, so He's so good. He's so good. So good. And just to again switch gears here, continue to talk about DeGrom, the irony is that we were all hyped up for that record. And that inning, the the wheels kind of came off. Relatively to Jacob DeGrom, the wheels coming off is like a few a few unearned runs scoring. But I had never seen DeGrom show the type of like emotion that he showed that inning. He screamed when that when the sack fly went and Conforto made the bad throw of the plate. DeGrom screamed into his glove and he snapped at the ball and he like he slunk his shoulders. Ronnie was a little bit disappointed in Jake. Yeah, I am okay with it because let's be honest, as I think we said it last time too, the most impressive stat by Jacob DeGrom is that he has murdered zero of his teammates. Yeah, yeah shout, so, out Meek, shout out Meek Phil. Yes, shout out Meek Phil. Great follow on Twitter. So if you... If this is the first time he ever, you know, showed up a teammate or anything like that, I mean, God bless him. Clap it up for him. He deserves the Nobel Peace Prize because anybody <laughs> else, I think, in Major League Baseball would have fought a, a, a teammate at this point. So, yes, Conforto made a shit throw and McNeil made an error earlier in the inning. I'm okay with it. If there's anybody that's allowed to make a stink about anything in Major League Baseball, it is 1,000% Jacob deGrom and the lack of support he gets from his teammates. Definitely, but... That situation kind of got him into trouble that inning because the next batter, Ramel Tapia, put one in the seats. I'm going to tell you, electric factory. Ramel Tapia, yeah, get the most exciting player in baseball. Shut the fuck up. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, that sucked. Like, that was such a gut punch in the moment. I couldn't even believe what I was watching. And it was similar to the Jazz at bat where it wasn't even necessarily a bad pitch, but he just, like, found the barrel and it just carried. I was sitting in disbelief. I was. Yeah, I was, uh, out of all the guys in the lineup, Rymel Tapia to hit a home run, who had one home run last year, and I think even the year before that had, like, four. This is not a guy who hits home runs. He is a slap hitter, like we've mentioned. He is not Big contact do, guy. Yeah, not there to do anything, but literally slap it to the left side and hope he runs it out faster than the ball gets there. And for him to, he hit pretty, pretty, hit pretty well, too. Like, it wasn't a cheap oh, he's a, he's a fine he's a fine baseball player. Well, it definitely wasn't a cheapo, but again, you just felt like that at bat to Grom wasn't really locked in like he usually is. He's very good at understanding things he's doing wrong or things that aren't necessarily right and correcting them like within that at bat or within that inning. Ronnie Ronnie actually mentioned that during the game. He said most guys when they struggle, it takes them a start or two to figure out why. It takes the Grom a batter or two. That's what sets him apart. That's why he's so great. The mental aspect. He's so aware of everything that's going on in the field. But for that at bat, he just lost his focus, it seemed like. And for a while, I thought that was really going to kill the Mets until our own electric factory came up the next inning. Jonathan VR, Captain Clutch. <laughs> Captain <laughs> Clutch, indeed, I guess. Ooh. 
found that corner, and Almora just scooted all the way around the bases. Great use of a pinch runner, too, by the Mets. The second, that was McCann who got the base hit, right? I was screaming, pinch runner, pinch runner, do it! We were all screaming it. We had yeah. Mets fans the other day that I was with, and we were like, you have to run for him. It better be, I thought it was going to be VR, honestly, and Guillaume to pinch hit, because I just thought VR is probably the fastest guy on the bench right now. But whatever he did, it worked. Way to go, Luis Rojas. I'm clapping this one up for you. Yeah, and I got my bad tweet of the day coming out from that uh, McCann to VR bat because when the bottom of the seven started, some girl on Mets Twitter, I don't even remember who it was, but she has some followers. She was like, I can't believe it. I hate Rojas. What is he doing not bringing DeGrom out for the last inning of this game? Like, how good he's been, the team coming back for him. And she just got the, the shit ratio out of her. Just leave the tweet in like 10 minutes. As she should because 100%. this feels like a like little uh, boy who cried wolf scenario now with Mets fans. Where it's anytime Jacob DeGrom comes out of the game, it's yeah. a mistake now, apparently. Definitely. Which, oh, you can't, you can it. never take this guy out. He's the best pitcher that I've seen in my lifetime. I'm sure he's going to be the best pitcher that most Mets fans have seen in their lifetime that are listening to this podcast. I don't imagine that there's many that are our parents' age that were able to see Tom Seaver pitch that are listening to this. If you are, thanks. But we got to like we gotta pump the brakes a little bit here. Jacob DeGrom hasn't had an issue with being pulled yet, by the way, this year, and he is definitely a guy who is not going to just give the ball up. He also, if DeGrom did have an issue, you would never know about it because that guy is a stone. Just again, to put DeGrom's dominance in perspective so far this season and going back to last season as well. Nick Pollock had a great tweet today. Garrett Cole in 2019 had a 16.8 swing strike rate. Swing strike rate takes every single pitch you throw and the percentage of swing strikes. Different from whiff rate, which shows the whiffs on swings. So Garrett Cole, 16.8% swing strike rate in 2019. That was the highest since that statistic was recorded in 2000. Last year, DeGrom was 21.5%, so like 5% higher. And this year so far is 23.2%. So almost almost one out of every four pitches that Jacob DeGrom throws is being swung through. That's literally something we have never seen before or just not recorded. That's, that's, that's a silly statistic. Unbelievable. When you said 16.8 for Cole, I'm like, that's really high. Oh, that literally the so highest uh, the highest on record. And DeGrom is shitting on it. DeGrom said, hold my beer. And he's yeah. like, here's what the best pitcher in baseball looks like because he's just, that debate has to be over now. Like officially, it's dead, dead in the close. water. If anybody says anybody else, you're, you're an idiot. You're wrong. You're yeah. a moron. You just have to watch the games. Yeah, just watch baseball, look at numbers, understand what you're seeing, and you're seeing possibly one of the greatest pitchers of all time right now on the mound. And then the rest of that game, some decent stuff happened. The Mets woke up the bats a little late. Brendan Nimmo is still so good, and I put it in the notes. Is it crazy to say he's the best hitter on this team? This second right now, I wouldn't say it's crazy. I think he is. If you said pick one guy to come up, you need... You need to keep this game alive. I'm picking Brandon Nimmo 100 yeah. of the time. Was he hitting like 450? His on base percentage is still above 500. Yeah, it's and... it's literally ignorant. He's the only guy in this team who's actually hitting the ball right now decently. Besides Pete, again today he's been putting the ball and play hard. But he's the only one who's really, really locked in. And it's yeah. crazy. This team is continuing to win games when he's the only guy locked in. The Mets this season have six home runs as a team. Six home runs. A team that last year was near the top of the league in home runs has six and they have seven wins who 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 in modern baseball has more wins than home runs the dodgers have like 25 or like 28 or some shit wilson ramos has six alone yeah wilson ramos has as many as the mets and he didn't hit any this week he had six last week yeah, the, the power department's been really bad. I just feel like the extra base hit department in general hasn't been particularly strong yeah the all the departments that include bats bad no good departments. Besides, yeah, besides the wins, which we're winning games. Yeah, so pitching, starting pitching, man. Starting pitching, starting pitching, starting pitching. And then that 
I guess, can bring us into game two last night when the starting pitching for the first time, besides that one Peterson start, just wasn't that good. But it's Joey Lucchese, who just isn't that good. So what, I don't know, what are you doing here? Yeah, I like, we talked about it a little bit. It felt like a punt game for the Mets. Like Huge punt happens, game. Whatever happens, happens. You can't, this isn't going to be a game that we're going balls to the wall, trying to scrap out a win. If we win, we win. If we lose, we lose. And as shitty of an attitude as that is, if there was ever a game, to have that kind of attitude, it was game two of the doubleheader where it was, what, like 15 degrees at night? Yeah, it was in the 20s. It was Lucchese versus the Rockies' ace, Marquez. But I kind of thought that the Mets would be like high after game one, like winning in the fashion they did. That was one of the more emotional regular season Mets victories that I, I can recall in the last couple of seasons. Besides that crazy national series from two years back, this was like the boys got up for that game. There was a real like palpable feeling that they had to win this game for Degrom. They didn't want to let him down. Like they stepped up as a team together, and like we said, McCann, VR, Almora, and then Lindor. These are the guys stepping up. Like those are guys from every single tier of this roster, and then they just came out completely flat. I couldn't, I can't understand the like the concept of it being so cold. And putting so many reserves in for that game who literally just sat around for three hours. Like, the temperature would have made me want to keep my players who were literally warm in the game. And the exact opposite happened. The only thing I could possibly think about is maybe there's something with, like, downtime. Like, getting your, getting, like, being up and then getting down and then coming out to the cold. Like, could they have possibly, like, we're going to give a lot of our guys a break because, like, listen, maybe that one of them's got, like, a sore hamstring you don't know about. Some of the guys are just feeling a little beat up long long series or whatever it's going to be that would be my only reasoning the lineup was by far like one of the strongest lineups we threw out all year Lucchese on the mound he pitched okay he was okay that first inning I think there was the the Rockies knocked a couple balls but it was also a little bit of bad luck you know and then he settled in he was fine and then it just I don't know they seems like the Mets went out with that game expecting not much. Also, like, not really fair to Lucchese that, like, his first start as a Met, he goes up against the Colorado Rockies in Colorado in 15, 20-degree weather against a team that he's faced all his career and, and has all the footage and film on him, and they've seen him time and, and time again. they've crushed him. He has pretty he had pretty bad stats going into that start in Coors, but who doesn't? Like, Coors is just, it's, it's impossible to pitch there. That's why, again... I would have made absolutely certain my A offense was in the lineup that day, especially against Marquez. Marquez is the only pitcher on the entire Rockies roster who you should really fear in any degree. Maybe Bard, Bard threw some heat. He looked good today, but I don't know. I didn't. I didn't like that at all. And like he gave up what three and two innings, I think. Which like in course, I think three, three innings. Runs, three innings. Three innings. So yeah, three runs shouldn't be anything, Coors, that you can't come back from. It's not an insurmountable lead. And then Gaselman came in. First appearance of the year, so hey, welcome to the team, Robert Gasol. Yeah, welcome back. Happy to have you. Uh, that was it. That's all there is to talk about him because he is just a Gaselman exists. Was throwing some 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 meatballs that the Rockies just weren't able to get around on. And like, I can't even blame him because it's been twenty something days since he's made no. Oh no! Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I just figured that. Gaselman and the same thing goes for Barnes and maybe the same thing goes for Hildenberger to a different degree but these are the guys you bring in when you're losing by a lot or you're winning by a lot they just I don't know in such a tight game in place like Coors Field using Barnes in that that was the fifth inning in that fifth inning just felt wrong I just would especially with all the off days coming up and the layoff beforehand I really would have looked to Castro or May to try and keep that game as a one-run deficit yeah I wonder if 
it's just it's so weird. If you think about it, Mets really haven't had a blowout or a. I mean, I guess the Phillies game where Barnes came in again. Yeah, the Peterson game, but again, he made that. Even when Barnes came in that game. It was attainable. I think it was a three or four run deficit at the time, and he gave up a moonshot. Yeah, like, it's just like, like at some point he does have to pitch. These guys do have to throw. No, for sure, but. With the amount of off days the Mets have had, workloads are not a concern yet. I get maybe you want to keep innings off of Castro and May, given their usage relative to the game's play, but relative to the days of the season, it hasn't been much. No, it hasn't been much. No, and I would have really tried to keep my foot in the gas pedal that game. I dis- I disagree with that call. And not even that Barnes looked that bad. There wasn't that many balls in play, but there were just a couple ground balls that found holes, and the play, uh, here it was, the Mets shifted against Story. And a ball went right to second base. That would have been a double play inning ender. And then two batters later, Fuentes hit the ball out. Yeah. Also, I mean, how, can we talk about how much Fuentes looks like Nolan Arenado? Well, you know, it's his cousin, right? I know. I had no idea that was his cousin. And Gary pointed out game one. I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> you know, he's he's budget Nolan Arenado in that he's just simply not nearly as good of a player, but he looks exactly like him. I think that Jeff Brithich may have just been trying to fool the Rockies fans who weren't very attentive this offseason. But, oh, look, wow, Arenado may have lost some weight. Did he also lose some height? I think he slap lost some number, power. Slap a number 20 on him, right? Yeah. Number 20 and put Arenado on the back of the jersey and no, I'm sure half the Rockies. <laughs> you just checked out the jersey back there? Yeah. I was like, <laughs> what number is he? I think he's 20. I still, I still don't know. Uh, well. But uh, yeah, I mean, Fuentes hit that ball. I just like, here's the thing with Jacob Barnes and you you said it. Like These are the guys that got to come in in just games that are blowouts either way. They can't pitch in close scenarios. We've talked, we've talked about the A bullpen this year, and we've talked about the B bullpen this year, being like Castro May, then Familia. These guys are the C bullpen. Yes. Although, I liked what Hildenberger had. I did too. I was actually about to say that. He looked pretty decent. Like, I love having guys with different arm angles in the bullpen. Just keeps hitters honest. I think like on the pecking order, he's got to go ahead of Barnes and Gisalman right Yeah. Now, just oh, based off that one not performance. E- not even a question of that. Because like, while he doesn't have particularly like anything special... Because of his arm angle and because of just being so herky jerky, and he really is so different than any pitcher that the Mets have. Like he's just junk, 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 junk. Lupus, it's Lupus a, is kind of a junker. He's a little bit, yeah, of but a he's junker. lefty, so whatever. Yeah, no, he yeah, cares, yeah, you're a lefty. Yeah. But he's he's just so different. I really like the idea of using him in maybe a game that's like a four run lead in the fifth inning, sixth inning, something Definitely. early. Yeah. I would have even preferred him to come out before Barnes, like you just yeah. said, especially like he. Hiltonberger is cool because he has three pitches he uses kind of equally where it's like change up fastball slider so that will keep hitters more honest especially you're thinking about three pitches equal likelihood of being used with the sidearm action and he's a guy that there's not that much film on him really he's more interesting than Barnes in my opinion for sure but the Mets seem to I like agree. Barnes they jumped on him in the offseason for reasons I still cannot figure out yeah it doesn't make any sense to me like he just his stuff is he sits like 93 like it's that's like not that. particularly like you look blah. at the size of this guy he's got muscles on top of his muscles and you think he's going to come out throwing 98 he just throws like mid 90s and his like slider or whatever that pitch is, is it, like, has, it has some bite but just okay. not not enough and like I don't even know is he like a is he a spin rate guy and it's just like I don't understand the appeal of him especially when we do have a guy like mcwilliams and waiting in the wing that i would just much rather see get these in dude same with Vizcaino, who was throwing upper 90s in the spring a guy who was labrade's closer not very long ago the only thing i could see with not bringing those guys up is we've seen how little barnes has been used maybe they want these guys throwing every day maybe they want them especially a guy like Vizcaino, who's like more so rehabbing right now because he is coming off of like some major surgeries 
Maybe they want those guys throwing, but you know, think about what we're talking about too. We're talking about the C team bullpen for the Mets right now in depth, which at the end of the day, hopefully we don't have to talk about them too much. Hopefully this is one of the few things that we talk about them because if we're talking about Jacob Barnes getting significant innings at any point in the season, I have a feeling we're going to be in trouble. And right now, I will say about Barnes, though, last year he did have a K rate over 30%, whereas that's kind of that golden line you want to see out of a reliever who could be good. And the color this year, as bad as his fastball has been, his fastball has been eviscerated. Batters have a 600 batting average against Jacob Barnes' fastball and very limited, very limited sample. He's only throwing 18, so that doesn't really mean anything. It's mostly noise, but he's getting 36% whiffs on the color. There's something there, I guess. But again, I just, there's no reason that. Castro and May couldn't be using that game with an off day the day before an off day on Monday they were willing to use Edwin Diaz two days in a row I can't understand why they wouldn't have used one of those two to keep that game at one run especially against yeah they were getting to Marquez they had just like started to figure him out a little bit I think it's simply just they wanted to get these guys in it had been 10 days for Barnes it had been 20 plus days for Gassaman and Hildenberg made his appearance even though we liked his appearance um I just simply I simply think that Rojas wanted to get these guys some innings because they just simply haven't been able to throw and hey you never know when you're gonna need to get these guys up and I would rather again have them get shelled in this game and have their 10-day break than okay well it's a 10-day break the Mets are up five and Barnes gives up five and now it's a tie game yeah yeah no I feel you there but I wanted to sweep I really wanted to sweep I might be being greedy but I mean, we talked about it like a sweep would be huge here looking like at the end of the year for the standings because you get three against the Rockies who are going to be a bottom feeder in this division. If you can get three there, that basically puts pressure on every other team in the National League East. You now have to sweep the Rockies in order to gain, to stay even with the Mets when you face them. You have to you have to sweep them to stay even. Now, a game or two here or there, it changes some things. It does, yeah. Especially, again, I'm bringing it up again because it still vexes me. The Mets have three off days in the next two weeks. They haven't. They've played less games than every team in baseball this season. These guys can work. You gotta let them work. I'm a peacock. You gotta let me fly. You know, gotta let the boys fly. But and then after the lead, we saw the Mets kind of just. I don't want to even say they were didn't care. Oh, but yeah, completely, were just, completely rolled over. Yeah, the Mets were like, all right, it's cold. Let's get over with. Marquez just team. patted their belly, and again, they were probably fucking cold. It got cold there. You could see Pete like blowing into his hand at first base. Floor the boy, cold blooded. You wrote in the notes, Mets simply didn't want to be there. I felt that. It was seemed true. I can't blame them. I mean, having played in 15-degree weather myself as a youngin, and not in Colorado, where it's also a mile high, uh, pretty miserable, and I wasn't facing anybody throwing 95 miles an hour with movement. I can't imagine, like, taking one off the hands here. That would suck. There was a clip yesterday in the sixth or seventh inning. I don't remember who was hitting, but it was a lefty, so they were, like, doing where they zoom in on the left-handed batter box and right-handed side. So you can see the fans sitting above the dugout, and there was a clear shot of just a middle-aged woman yawning. And that was just, that was all of us last night in the 6th and 7th innings. So I was like, let's just end this game, I guess. But, I mean, overall, from the series, two wins. Good, we won the series. You go 2-1 and one in every series you play, you're a playoff team. So that's Playoff great. team? You're one of the best teams of all time. <laughs> you go 2-1 and one in every series. If you win the season with a 666 winning percentage, you are an all-time great baseball team. Are you team. like 108 and 54 or something like that? I think yeah, that's pretty, yeah 108 and 54. Pushing, that, that was actually crazy mental math. You'd be pushing the 2001 Mariners, or 2000 Mariners, for one of the best regular season records ever. But again, while we're talking about the cold, Great time transition to the Mets' next three games, which will also be played in the cold. So I hope everyone liked it because we got three more coming. Yeah, Chicago Cubs, which they're playing right now, and 
the Cubs are just bad. The Cubs are another really bad team that we Cubs have to meet up on. The Cubs that are pitching bad. is atrocious, and the Horrible. offense is even worse somehow. Yeah, but uh, the Cubs season averages look better after they put up with like fourteen runs on Saturday. Yeah, well, well, the Braves bullpen, which apparently isn't a big problem according to Braves fans. But no, ha-ha. not a big problem at all. Yeah, they only have they only have like basically one good reliever, but it's not a big deal. And now, and now they're, they're losing starters left and right now. Yeah, so the, the Cubs are not a, again. Similar situation to the Rockies. They have some players you have to keep an eye out for, for sure. They have good players on that roster. Ian Happ's really good. I like him a lot. Wilson Contreras is starting to get hot a little bit. When he gets hot, he's scary. <laughs> Ian Happ has been bad this season. His average is like his, his average is like under 150 right now. His on base is still hovering right at 300, which is he takes a ton of walks. That's him, but he has not put the bat in the ball. And as the rest of the Cubs, this team, I'm pretty sure going into today, they had the lowest, going into yesterday, they had the lowest batting average in baseball. Well, I know for a while, Jacob deGrom was hitting better than the entire Chicago Cubs team. Yeah. So. There was a time about a week ago where every pitcher in baseball cumulatively was hitting better than the Chicago Cubs team, yeah, which is disastrous. So rough. But like, they still have Rizzo. They still have Baez. They still have Bryant. Yeah, they have I mean, dudes. There's Jock guys Peterson there. Jock Peterson stinks, but like Jock Peterson also can hit a home run any given pitch. Yeah, he does His what power he does. is insane. Uh they're the Cubs. Like, they're not the same Cubs team that you feared a couple years ago. Definitely not. The bullpen's not particularly strong. The starting pitching is abysmal. And we are missing Hendricks, which is fantastic. Even though Hendricks just got annihilated on Sunday Night Baseball. He yeah. gave up more home runs in the first inning tonight than he's given up in any individual start in his career. The Cubs' batting average going into today is a buck eighty-four. They have a lower batting average than the Cleveland Indians, who have been no hit. Again, this is a series like you just got you got to come out and you got to pulverize them. So it's Arietta pitching for the Cubs against us on Tuesday. Then we got Davies on Wednesday and Trevor Williams on Thursday. And shockingly for you Mets fans, you've probably recognized a couple of those names. None of them are, you know, world beaters or anything like that. They are BP BP pitchers. The Mets aren't going to see a fastball above 91 miles an hour from any any of these starters. I think the Cubs, I thought, thought I saw a stat that basically the Cubs average like fastball velocity from their starters is under 90 miles an hour well the cubs that's an organizational tactic that they've done this year tried apparently the cubs don't have any money which is untrue they really just have a cheap they just have a cheap owner i think they spent too much money uh putting putting adjustments on wrigley field the last few years and just have lost ticket sales but that's neither here nor there they've kind of leaned into this anti-velocity approach because they found what seems like a market inefficiency because everyone's paying for velocity a lot of the guys in this staff, excluding Arietta and Williams, the guys we see, of course, have pretty good like stuff. Like they have good breaking balls, fastballs that move a lot. Davies is like that. Davies always has low ERA, and no one knows why. The same like Alex Mills is being used in relief right now, so it looks like we're going to miss him. And Adbert Alzale got sent to the alternate side last week, who's been so 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 far in his career. He's got stuff though, yeah. Yeah, no, those guys have stuff. Arietta and Trevor Williams do not have stuff. No lack of lack of stuff. Yeah, there's there's like again. Oh, man, if these bats could just wake up, if these bats could just wake up, we are... It's going to happen. It's going to happen. You can't... It's not like the Mets aren't going to hit this year. There's no way that's, like, possible. No, they're too... They have literally too good of a lineup. This is one of the better lineups that we've seen in our lifetime, so they're going to hit. It's just a matter of, like, getting back into that rhythm. Hitting's contagious, and clearly when they're not hitting, it's also contagious, which is very topical with COVID-19 still existing. But again, if they're... We we thought the Rocky series was going to be the one. If there was a series, this is the one that we need. If there's a series now, it's the Cubs one. They're not facing anybody. It's still going to be cold. It's so hard to hit in the cold. And we've been talking a lot about how bad the Mets have been on offense. Through through the season so far, they actually have the 10th highest WOBA in baseball. How is that even possible? I have no idea. I'm sh- no, I, I myself am shocked. They walk and like, hey, well, they're not hitting home runs. I can't even use that. They have six home runs on the season or whatever no, it is. By far the lowest in baseball. 
That's so bad. That's lower than the Marlins. Imagine. Imagine. Way lower than the Marlins. the Marlins. I think the outlook is we're still feeling good as Mets fans, I think. Like, we won the series. We won the series and we didn't play particularly a team game. It was very one sided. The pitching carried us, which is awesome to see because, again, if you had any problems that you thought were going to be with this team at the start of the year, it was on the pitching side. You thought the offense was going to be fine. So it's good to see that what we thought was going to be an issue is playing well. And we know that the offense is going to readjust as the season gets longer. They're just too talented not to. A lot of great things to take out of the series again. Fucking love Marcus Stroman. Please love keep Marcus him in the jersey for a while along next Stroh to show. Jacob DeGrom. Like, Stroman has a .90 ERA. Yeah, DeGrom has what? Silly. .45, I think I saw, or something like that? Yeah, it's .45 or .47, something in there. How? How does that no happen? No idea. No idea. Stroman, he's due for some regression. Of course. He's only striking out 13% of the batters he's facing, by far the lowest in his career. You need to see that number go up, but I think we will. I think he's been pitching to contact more so. Summertime, gets nice and warm, humid in the air, grip that slider, get that split change going. He'll be back. He'll be back. No, he's he's been pitching smarter, not harder, and that's been working, so I, I have nice. no complaints here. Mets, we're 7-4? and 7-4, first place. The rest of the division is just not playing good baseball right now. Which I feel like great. no one in baseball is playing good baseball. There's only like a handful of teams who are over 500, which is weird. Like the Phillies got to smack around the Cardinals, and the Cardinals stink, so we we know that. Mets are in first place. Mets, Mets are in first, first place. place. And we got games in hand. I love having games in hand. I really do. Especially like over a long season, 162. If Mets can throw out some wins here and there, they're playing good baseball. The Nationals look atrocious. Strasburg went down on the IL today, which sucks, just like that as seems, a baseball that fan. a disaster, yeah. The Braves have been losing guys left and right. They have no third baseman, Sean. They called up 36-year-old Sean Kazmar to play third base, which is a cool story, but that's a problem if you're calling up a 40-year-old guy to play, you know, be your starter. Mets have an opportunity, especially against the Cubs, to really make a little bit of a dent here. Early in the season, Cubs then, na- Cubs then Nationals. And then the Red Sox, who are luckily starting to cool off right now. So we might be catching them at the right time, too. Uh, we got two shows before that series. We, we got so many shows before that, which, I mean, kind of leads us to the end of this show here because we've been talking about the Mets for way longer than we thought we were. We've, we've been we've been rambling about nonsense for at least 10 minutes. Yeah, and there will be plenty of stuff cut out. So you guys aren't going to hear everything, which yeah, I'm sorry, but we do say a lot of nonsense that is not important. And we want to keep the watch time and the listen time up, which, by the way, has been incredible. So this is where we'll give you our, you know, what's what's it called when you do it all the time? Like something Consistency? consistently. Yeah, consistent? Our consistent thank you? I don't know what it's called, but... Whatever it is, we're giving you our thank you again because the sport really has been great. The YouTube videos have been killing it. The streams, the listens have been really, really solid and really on a consistent basis. If you guys don't know, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, watch us on YouTube. Just search Mets Up Podcast. You'll find me on Twitter, Giraffeneck Mark, James on Twitter, Jeter Had No Range. Make sure you're following both of us if you want to see what we're talking about during games and you want to see what we're saying before the podcast comes out. And uh, you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram for the podcast as well at Mets Up James. Another great episode. Another happy one. Another happy one for sure is no yeah, longer happy. doom and gloom. Well, we're never doom and gloom. Let's no. not say that. Come but on. no more of this. No more of the, the hand on the head. No more question. No more questioning our existence. Yes, we're seeing real baseball. We're getting into a consistent season, and the Mets are in first place. Can't ever complain about that. Absolutely not. All right. Thank you for listening. Thank you for watching, everybody. It's episode seven of the Messed Up Podcast. We'll see you a little later this week after the Cubs series, and hopefully we're talking about some more W's in the books. Bye.